I read about Jesus and I realized, wow, Jesus had said all these things like turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do good to others as you would have others do to you. And I became very interested. With the recent events in Iran and the turmoil, how is the gospel progressing in Iran? And what was it like to grow up under the Islamic Revolution? Today, we'll find out. Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we are talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem and Fatima, an Iranian woman who has grown up and moved to the United States to answer those very questions. Fatima, Joel, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today, Fatima. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're so glad. Absolutely. And in a moment, I want to ask you, uh, yes, the whole whole series of questions. What was it like to grow up in Iran, both before the Islamic Revolution of 1979, and of course, uh, what was it like afterwards? And you've had quite a journey, not only a journey inside Iran, growing up as a Shia Muslim, but also moving to the United States and coming to faith ultimately and quite dramatically in Jesus Christ, not as an Islamic Messiah, but as in fact God and King and the crucified and resurrected Savior. That's that's a big deal. And, and you're not alone as an Iranian Muslim who's, who's left Islam and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want to ask you Lots of questions about about your background, and let's start with what's actually happening right now. Just give us, and we'll we'll talk about it more throughout the show. But I I have to ask you your perceptions of this maybe second Iranian revolution that's underway right now. What what are you seeing, and and and, and how are you feeling about it? Yes, mm-hmm. hi, thank you. Um, well, the uprising that we are seeing right now started after the death of Mahsa Amini. Uh, she was a 22-year-old Kurdish young woman who, on September 16, 2022, was arrested by the morality police because she wasn't wearing the Islamic hijab correctly. Um, she so was the visiting... T- is the headscarf that women are yes. required to wear, correct? Right, exactly. Just some of her hair was showing. And uh, she was a visitor. She came to Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, for a visit. So um, she was arrested in the street in detention. She was beaten so badly that she eventually passed away. Since then, Iran has witnessed the most intense and um, the longest wave of protests since uh, Islamic Republic of Iran came into power in 1979. This uprising actually started by women first, wanting freedom. They call the women of Iran the lionesses of Iran because they have a reputation of being very brave. But despite persecutions and arrests, they have and continue to protest in the streets and they have continued this movement. So the men joined then, later, But what's amazing is that for the first time in Iranian history, all the different ethnic groups uh, have united in this uprising. Wow. I know in talking to you offline, 
how much this is grieving you. I, I think yes. that you, you told me that you're basically at the TV on all the time, like we did when, you know, after 9-11 or when the Iraq war began or, you know, one of these, because for you, this is very, very personal. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, well, it is where I was born. My parents are from there and I am Persian. I know the culture. I know the language. But it is personal because I see so many young women and men being persecuted and arrested and and killed and and hanged and tortured and unfortunately raped that it just breaks my heart to see this happening and I, I feel like all they're asking for is freedom. They're not breaking any laws. They're not criminals. There's no act of crime in that going on. They're just asking for freedom and that's been taken away from them. And in many ways, I'll just one more question, then I'll turn it over to my colleague, of course, Carl. But I, I just, you know, we think of the uprisings of Eastern Europe um, and the Soviet Union during the final years of the Eastern Empire. And those protests and that uprising, people feared that there would be this brutal crackdown the way, the way there was in China in Tiananmen Square in 1989, the way there had been in previous uprisings in uh, the Eastern Bloc, in the, the Soviet sphere. But dramatically, that was so peaceful. And eventually, you know, the Berlin Wall fell and ultimately the Soviet Union collapsed on Christmas Day, uh, very fittingly, in 1991, when the evil empire really did collapse and was relegated to the ash bin of history the way President Ronald Reagan said it would be almost prophetically. But the Iranian regime is not following the, the Soviet and Eastern Bloc playbook. This is incredibly brutal. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm. Yes, like I said, a lot of people are being arrested, detained, tortured, killed, raped, unfortunately, both men and women. They actually have over 18,000 prisoners more than 18,000 prisoners and their demonstrators. There's been over 500 deaths, all protesters, and up to 80 of them were unfortunately children. Mm. Fatima, I feel, you know, when we hear these things, we hear numbers like 18,000, we hear about these things. How widespread are these protests? And are they, you know, just centered in in the capital or are they, uh, you know, in other parts of Iran right now? No, actually, it's all over Iran. There are certain parts like Baluchistan, which is in the southeast, and the Kurds, the Kurdistan, which is a huge territory in the western part of Iran. The crackdown there is very, very intense. And people are still going out into the streets and um, they hang people, they kill people. There's mass shootings by the police, but uh, they're not afraid. They're still going into the streets and demonstrating. You're living in the States. Are you seeing the, enough coverage? I mean, I, I can't monitor the coverage there. Here in, in Israel, there's a lot of coverage of this, but I don't know how you're feeling about it. Is it is there enough tension being paid to this? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I agreed to do this podcast. I feel like the Western world, especially Iran, there's more support from the European countries. I'm sorry, uh, especially the U.S. 
I just don't feel like the U.S. is supporting the Iranians as much as they should. Mm. I don't see a lot of coverage in the media, in the news. And one thing that I like to mention, and, and it's another reason why I agreed to do this podcast, is that the same officials in Iran who say down to America, the big Satan, they have their children here studying in the U.S., living lavish lives living in multi-million dollar homes while Iranian youth in, in Iran are being killed and tortured daily. And wow. why is the U.S. allowing this? Why are they in our soil? Mm. These are the same people that hate Americans. Why are they here living yeah. free lives, going to amazing schools, living in expensive homes? having all the advantages that Iranians in Iran wish they had. Mm. Why is this being allowed? And I really encourage people who are listening to this podcast to be aware of this and to read about it and to uh, hopefully to contact their representatives and just kind of stand up for this injustice. These people should be deported. They should not be here. (laughs) Fatima, you make so much sense. And it's actually shocking to hear that because we imagine that they're not here, but they are. And you're you're saying that they're actually experiencing the blessings of freedom in this country, while in their country, Iran, they're being tortured and imprisoned and made to be uh, victims of such violence. I mean, that's really shocking. As you think about all these things, in addition to you know taking the steps of getting educated and, and, and getting in touch, how are you praying for the people and leaders of Iran today? Yes, that's a very good question. That's the third reason why I agreed to do the podcast is that with all the injustice, with all the tortures and killings that's going on in Iran, and it's not just that. The economy is horrible. There's a lot of environmental issues. Inflation is just horrendous. With all that said and all that's happening, God is greater than all that. God is in full control. And I am just waiting to see Jeremiah 49, 34 to 39, uh, which is a um, prophecy uh, about Iran or Elam, which is the old word for Iran, to come to fruition. Mm. Where at the end of this prophecy, the Lord says he will establish his kingdom in Iran. And maybe people are going through this hardship to understand that they need a savior, to realize that this is not it, that there's something better for them, that only Jesus can save them. So my prayer request is, number one, for the Iranians to come to the Lord and to search for the Lord, recognizing that there's something much better. There's hope in Christ that nothing in this world can give them. And actually, um, Iran is one of the fastest growing Christian countries after uh, China. So that's encouraging. Mm. And also to pray for the officials. Obviously, they're lost. Those who are killing these innocent kids, beating them, they are lost. So uh, pray for them as I am praying for them. And uh, just to be aware of what's happening in Iran. These people, Iranians are made in God's image, just like we all are, just like you are. And they're valuable for the Lord. 
just because they don't have blonde hair or lighter skin doesn't mean they shouldn't be cared for. Just because they don't have European background doesn't mean they should be ignored. They're human beings made in God's image. And as followers of Christ, we should be aware of what's going on, and we should pray for these people, for their salvation. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen, Fatima. That's a great transition point, uh, because I absolutely agree with you a thousand percent, and I'm glad that you brought up the prophecies, and maybe we'll be able to touch on that a little bit more later. Prophecies where God really says he's going to bring judgment on the leadership of Iran, and that God himself is going to move his throne into Iran. Now, those of us who live in Israel were like, um, excuse me, we thought that the prophecies indicated that you're going to move your throne here as the Messiah finally you know, comes back <laughs> for in the second coming. And that's true, of course, and he is. But the fact that there is that prophecy that God is going to move his throne into Iran tells us that prior to the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a massive spiritual revolution going on inside Iran that God is going to consider Iran, sort of the base camp of his ministry worldwide. And, and I think we're already seeing so many, uh, I mean, estimates are, you know, it's hard to, you know, we can't be precise, but uh, Dr. Hormoz Shariat, who's probably the, the leading um, Iranian evangelist who's been on this podcast himself, you talk about at least a million Shia Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ since 1979. And he believes the number's several million, but we can't say for certain. But you're one of these. Shia Muslims you were brought up in the faith. Would you talk and walk us through, walk our listeners and our viewers through the journey that you went on? Because it's pretty dramatic. Fatima and Joel, we need to take a break right now, but uh, we're going to come back and and turn that clock back a little bit about what it was like uh, for you to grow up in Iran in the 60s and 70s and and to to really drive into your personal story about how you came to faith. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Hebrews 13.3. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those also being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. And as Fatima has asked, our prayer requests today are to pray for the people and leaders of Iran, that they will come to know Jesus, and to pray for all gospel efforts in Iran, that they will yield tremendous fruit and tremendous results in the years to come. 
Batima, we're back. And Joel, maybe you can ask that question again about where we're uh, looking to hear from Fatima's uh, personal story. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that to be a cliffhanger, but that was I guess that was good <laughs> for the purposes of uh, storytelling. But Fatima, uh, give us a little bit of a flavor of the Iran that you grew up in, which was different from the Iran of 1979. And then walk us a little bit through that revolution, uh, just how it, what it meant to you personally, because, you know, February of 1979. So here we are at, a, at, a, at a, another inflection point, an anniversary point. Uh, it was pretty dramatic when the Ayatollah Khomeini came, the Shah was driven out of power. Touch on it a little bit. Give us a little flavor. And then we want you to talk about how you personally came to faith in Jesus as God, not just um, an Islamic Messiah, lowercase m. Sure. So um, growing up in Iran as a child was wonderful. (laughs) There was no mandatory hijab. Women had the same opportunities as men in sports, in school, in professions, all aspects of life. And people of all ethnic groups lived free in Iran, no matter what your religion was, whether you were Baha'i, Jewish, Christian, or Armenian, there was peace for everyone. And there was obviously religious freedom and the economy was booming. So um, I was raised in a nominal Islamic home. We couldn't read the Quran because it was written in Arabic. And uh, as you know, Iranians speak Farsi or Persian. And um, we were taught that Muhammad is the prophet of Islam and that he did not want the Quran to be translated to any language to preserve the original meaning of Quran. And I'm actually surprised that now Quran is being translated to so many languages. So I don't know about that. So anyway, I I really didn't know anything about the Christian faith. I had a few Christian friends in school. They were Chaldeans or Armenians, and they all practiced Orthodox Christianity. I didn't know any evangelical Christians. But I was taught that Jesus was just a prophet and that he needed to be respected. That's the Jesus of Islam. I was taught that if if I follow all the pillars of Islam, that maybe if Allah wishes or gives me his grace, uh, and if, if I'm lucky, I may go to heaven. My memories about the Islamic Revolution in 1979 as a child was um, that I remember my school closing because of the demonstrations going on outside. Some of my girlfriends would go out and demonstrate. I remember people coming into the streets in masses to demonstrate against uh, the Shah of Iran at that time. I remember an episode where people were burned alive in a movie theater called the Rex Theater. They were blaming the Shah of Iran for that. But later, the truth came out that it was the Khomeini's followers that did that, blamed the Shah for it. I remember Khomeini coming into power, and then there was mandatory hijab shortly after that. Um, My parents didn't want me to grow up wearing the hijab and to experience the limitations that I didn't experience before. And they didn't want me to grow up in that environment. So they sent me to the U.S. to live here and be free. Mm. Mm. So uh, in time, you get married, you start to have children, but something dramatic happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, I'll just have to go back a little bit. So when I was nine years old, um, my mom bought me a book called by Indira Gandhi's father, who was in prison in South Africa at the time. In his book, he talked about the truth. But I don't recall him explaining it, or maybe he did, and I just didn't pay attention. Anyway, this word, the truth, was planted in my heart since age nine. Later, when I moved to the U.S. in college, I studied different philosophies, uh, such as Immanuel Kant's philosophy of the golden rule, do to others as they would have others do to you. But I was never taught that Jesus said that, was the first person who said that. So I studied Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolence, turning the other cheek. And again, I thought, wow, this man is amazing that he would come up with that, with these statements. So fast forward to 1999, when I picked up a book by Kenneth Davis. The book uh, is called don't know much about the Bible. It's like the, the book for dummies or dummies books. One of those <laughs> series. So I read about Jesus and I realized, wow, Jesus had said all these things, like turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do good to others as you would have others do to you. And I became very interested. At the same time, I was watching a movie called The Jesus of Nazareth. And I was mesmerized by Jesus' saying where he proclaimed himself being the light of the world. Why did you pick up a book about basically the Bible for dummies? Like, like yeah. the Bible, why, why was that interesting to you? I guess the Lord planted the, this word, the truth in my heart since age nine. So I was constantly seeking this, mm. not knowing that I was seeking it. So I studied philosophy in college and tried reading different books about different faiths. And I think that's why I picked up the book. I was still looking for the truth. So October 13th, 1999, I, I finished the book <laughs> and I went into the shower to take a shower. And I in the shower, I was thanking God for letting me know Jesus, the light of the world. And before I was done, I felt the light touch on my left shoulder, and I felt every drop of mm. water on my body. And I had an amazing joy deep in my stomach, which I can't explain. And I was laughing and crying at the same time. And I knew then that Jesus had touched me and he proclaimed me as his adopted daughter. And that was the, the moment that my life changed. You then think, well, I better go learn more about this. And you, if I remember correctly, and it, now it's been a long time, but uh, I think you just basically looked in the phone book um, and found a church. <laughs> no. No? It was actually 23 years ago. No, I, uh, my husband has had listened to a pastor uh, named Lon Solomon in our area where he had this saying in the radio, he would just give, give these very brief uh, sermons on the radio. So my husband told me to, when I was that day, <laughs> he invited me to listen to Pastor Solomon's testimony. And I listened to his testimony and I felt, wow, you know, I want to go to that church. 
And interestingly, that was on a Wednesday when I went to that church. On, it was a Saturday evening, all by myself. And when I entered the chapel, uh, the uh, service had already started. And I saw arms in the air praising the Lord. And I felt like, wow, I have found the truth. This is it. I found it. Mm. So um, that was just an amazing uh, experience for me. And well, I'm very thankful. Amen. And I'll just say, and I'll turn it back over to Carl, but for those who are not familiar with Lon Solomon, he's Jewish. And so it's interesting that God used a Jewish follower of Jesus who had become a pastor. He had been a, a drug dealer and a drug user in college uh, back <laughs> in his hippie days, but he'd gotten radically saved, uh, came to believe in Jesus as Messiah, as God. And now here he is ministering to you via radio and you ended up going to his church. Uh-huh. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, Fatima, you you know, you you went to that service by yourself. What about the rest of your family? Uh, At that time, you were a married woman. And um, I don't know if you had kids at that time, but if there were, Mm -hmm. you know, what were the next steps in your faith journey that way with your family? So um, my husband was a nominal Christian, but he wasn't a believer. In fact, he became a Muslim just to marry me. Oh, that's a diff- that's a different story. Um, I did have uh, little children then, um, so I I feel like this was my journey at the time, and my husband was very kind to allow me to go through this journey to support me through the journey, and so once I uh, I was like a magnet <laughs> and I was like a sponge. I just wanted to know more and more about Jesus. I fell in love with him and. I went to so many Bible study classes and read and listened to sermons and to worship songs on the radio. And um, I remember my parents came to visit. And when I saw them at the airport, I, I literally grabbed them and said, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Why didn't you teach us? about this faith. And they're like, well, we didn't know any better. We were born Muslims. We wish we knew. So um, I remember sitting them on the couch and sharing the gospel with them. And this was the Lord leading me to do that, obviously. Um, I just started praying for every single member of my family. And one by one, each uh, and every one of them came to faith, came to know Jesus Christ through the power of prayer and God's grace. It is an amazing story. Uh, I don't know if you're willing, and if you're not, I understand, but the story of you praying and sharing the Word of God, the Bible, with your parents, uh, explaining the gospel simply and, and in multiple times, but there were some other, other dramatic things that happened in their life. Um <laughs> Are you open to sharing a little bit of of their story? Sure. So my mother uh, was much more open than my dad. And as my siblings came to the Lord through visions, dreams, or miracles, almost every single Mm -hmm. one of them, my parents became interested. And my mother was very sick, and she went to see a doctor for her illness. And the doctor uh, actually encouraged her to pray. So, of course, we encouraged her to pray in the name of Jesus. And one night when she was sleeping, she had a dream about Jesus. And she woke up. She said Jesus called her name. And she woke up and said, yes, I'm here. And she was healed. 
So that's her story. And my dad was the stubborn one. Um, <laughs> but we didn't give up. All of us, my family and my children and my husband, we prayed for him every single night for 10 years. Mm. And there were moments that I was disappointed. I was discouraged. I was like, Lord, why won't he accept you? And I would share the gospel with him every single time that I saw him. And he would say, you know, do you think I'm a child? Do you think I'm foolish to believe in that Jesus died on the cross? Exactly what the scripture says. But in Iran, he became very, very sick. Actually, he was on his deathbed. And my mother, who was a believer at the time, started praying for him. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the night, he woke up and he saw a figure looking at him. He describes this figure as a man wearing a long gown with long, kind of longish hair. And when my dad sat up to look at him, this man turned around, went into the hallway and disappeared. And my dad thought it was my mom. (laughs) But he thought, no, your mother is shorter. And he looked uh, and my mom was fast asleep next to him. So he woke up my mother and said, well, he thought there was an intruder. So he was searching the house, looking to see who this intruder was, but he didn't find anything. So he woke up my mother and said, I saw this person. And my mom said, that was Jesus. He came to heal you. And my dad was healed. And um, I prayed for them to come to the U.S. and they did. And we share, I shared the gospel with him again. And he said, I know it in my heart brain, not in my heart. I said, okay, I'll give you two weeks. He said, good, give me two weeks. (laughs) So after two weeks, I didn't give up. I went to him and I shared the gospel uh, with him again. And he accepted the Lord this time. Praise God. Yes. Praise God. What what a story. You can't can't deny Jesus. You can't. I mean, he has been... uh, Fatima, a lot of people do, but... uh, He's pretty compelling. Yes, especially if he mm. appears to you yes. and yes. He, yes. He, he heals you. You can't deny that fact, that miracle. You can't. So he, he was very gracious to do that for my parents and for most of my family members, including me. And you were all baptized and, and um, you even decided you and, and as, your, as your husband eventually and kids uh, all eventually fully gave their lives to the Lord. You also decided you wanted to go to Israel. That's an interesting decision for an Iranian because Iran is our number one enemy. Again, not the people, of course, but the regime. So what what was going on in your heart? I mean, a lot of things were going on, I realize, but just on this topic of, of Jews and Israel, I mean, you'd grown up with a regime that told you every day, every certainly every Friday, that Israel was the the little Satan and the United States was the great Satan. Now you're in the United States, uh, faith in Jesus and deciding, I'd like to go visit Israel. Yes. Even uh, growing up in a free Iran, uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of anti-Semitic sentiment in Iran. And I did grow up in a home that was anti-Semitic for the most part. But then after I became a Christian, I was so drawn to the Old Testament. And I just did so many Bible studies on the Old Testament. I don't know why it was the Lord leading me that way. 
I know more about the Old Testament than I know about the New Testament, to be honest with you. <laughs> and so I just fell in love with the Jews and the love of Christ for the Jews. And there were times that when I would see Jewish people wearing the cross of David, my heart would start beating fast when I would see that. And I just wanted to go to Israel so much, and I just fell in love with the Jews. So that's how we ended up going to Israel a few times. <laughs> you know, uh, Fatima, I meet with a lot of Muslims who've come to faith in Jesus from Iran and from other countries. One of the things I find interesting is that it seems quite easy, easier than I would have thought, when a Muslim leaves Islam and comes to faith in Jesus, they're pretty willing to throw out or at least question a lot of things they were taught and put their highest trust in the Bible and to say, well, what does the Bible actually say about Jews? What does it say about Israel? What does it say, of course, about Jesus and, and all these other topics? But it is for a Muslim a complete rethinking of so many other areas of their life, their theology, their, their how to conduct themselves socially and, and uh, within their families. But many develop a great love for Israel uh, and the Jewish people because that is biblical. And I, I find that fascinating and in some ways counterintuitive. Uh-huh. I can't explain it, Joel. All I know is that when you fall in love with Jesus and when you get to know Jesus, this stuff doesn't matter. Uh, how you feel about the Jews or how you felt about the Jews before, or even the concept of Trinity. Before I would just rack my head, before I became a Christian, just trying to figure out how could Christians believe in in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't matter anymore. That's how I feel. I feel like the most important thing is Jesus. And if Jesus loves the Jews, I love the Jews. Well, amen. (laughs) Thank you. That is beautiful. And Fatima, it's such a great way to get an insight, uh, this discussion about the revolution that's taking place in Iran, not just the the, the one that shows up on our news with bombs and, and violence, but the, the deeper one that's a spiritual revolution that's happening there as well. Your, your family's experience with Jesus directly uh, yeah. really evidences that. And, uh, and, and I'm curious, uh, maybe Joel or Fatima, whoever would like to jump in on this, what do you see as the, the unique connection between Bible prophecy and, and what's taking place today in that, in that spiritual and other types of revolutions in Iran? What, what's going on in your mind with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think because of the Islamic Republic of Iran, and all the rules and the regulations that people have to follow in Iran that just don't make sense, and the lack of freedom that they have and the uh, the persecution that they experience. I feel like a lot of the Iranians are looking at different faiths. They're saying, if this is Islam, I don't want to follow it. If Islam is violence and torturing of innocent people and and all the other things that's going on in Iran, they feel like, I don't want to be a part of it. And so they are looking for other things. And um, for some reason, the Lord is leading them to Christianity through visions. Well, 75% of the converts in Iran or outside is through visions and dreams and miracles. I think that's 
interesting at several levels. And I want to just draw a few last points here. Uh, and Carl, I appreciate the question because so I think what's happening is the Iranian regime, again, let's separate the regime from the people. In terms of the people, they are classic uh, examples of what Jesus spoke of when he ministered here in the land of Israel. He saw sheep without a shepherd, right? He saw a religious establishment uh, being very, very demanding and hypocritical and greedy and and uh, at times tyrannical to a people that just didn't know better but didn't know what else to do. They needed the good shepherd, right? And they needed the Messiah. They needed Jesus to come and guide them into the he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to get to God except through him. And so in the same way, I think the Iranian people are sheep without a shepherd. They mm-hmm. put all their hope uh, in the Ayatollah Khomeini back in 1979, thinking he would bring about some great uh, blessing for the country. And it turned out mm-hmm. to be a cruel uh, lie and then when the Ayatollah Khamenei took over, it's gotten much, much worse. And so from the kingdom of God's perspective, right, from God's kingdom perspective, I think God is doing two major things. First, he's creating the almost the perfect pressure cooker environment for Muslims to leave Islam and, and search. Now, not all are becoming followers of Jesus, like Fatima and her family, and many, many others, but thank God many are. But many are becoming atheists or agnostics, or but they're definitely leaving Islam. And so that is the environment that God is letting the devil create. It's not God is not creating this cruelty at the top. He's, mm-hmm. he's letting Satan rob, kill, and destroy in the name of radical Iranian version of, mm-hmm. of Islamism in order to create the environment in which people will leave Islam and, and, and search and be ready. So that's one. But the other element is prophetic also in the sense that uh, there's there's a phrase in the scriptures um, about, we won't get into the details of it right now, but an old uh, biblical you know enemy regime. And God says um, basically that he was waiting for their cup of wickedness to be full, mm-hmm. and then he would bring judgment. So what we're watching is the whole world, certainly the Iranian people, but the whole world is watching the Iranian regime fill up their cup with so such obvious evil that when the judgments that are described in Jeremiah 49, as Fatima mentioned, also in Ezekiel 38 and 39, those are very specific judgments, and they're very severe. But they won't be to decimate the entire country of Iran. It will be to decimate the leadership and to liberate the Iranian people, not just politically, but spiritually. And so I think that's what we're watching. It's a combination of all those different elements. And one other thing, Fatima, you mentioned that, I think it was you, maybe it was Carl, but, oh yeah, it was you, Fatima, that you said the Iranian church is the fastest growing church aside from China. Now, mm-hmm. for, people from all over the world listen to this podcast, but just take Americans for a moment. Mm-hmm. Americans often want things to be better in Iran, which, of course, we all want that, or better in China, or better in America. But let's remember that sometimes God allows real pain and suffering, mm-hmm. not because he's cruel, but because the devil is cruel. And yes. he needs people to realize that whatever philosophy, religion, political ideology that they're following other than Jesus is wrong and painful and harmful. And so two of the regimes that I think are the most brutal in our world today, China, 
and in Iran, God is letting that happen so that people will leave communism and people leave uh, radical and apocalyptic Islamism and come to faith in Jesus. And that doesn't really fit with American foreign policy, right? We, uh-huh. we want those two countries to be liberated. And, and I don't think that's wrong to want, but God cares mostly about the liberation of people's souls uh-huh. and for them to find hope and joy, not in their regime, not in their country, not in their nationalism, but in faith in Jesus Christ. And I, that's just a set of things that we all have to process as we watch this incredible spiritual awakening, a great Mm -hmm. awakening happen both in Iran and China. Yes. Yeah. Joel, thank you for that. And, you know, to my mind, your point about what God is allowing and why this is happening perhaps can be seen in an illustration. If If you saw a picture of a father pushing a child down a ravine, you would go, what a terrible thing. But if you pulled out the picture and looked at the context of it being a train coming down the tracks to kill that child, of course you would say the father pushed that child down the ravine, saved his life. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this this picture I see is that sometimes God allows that pain, that that thing. And if we only look at that, we might think, where's God in this? But the fact that this regime and, and lifestyles that any lead us away from Christ are ultimately going to kill and destroy the very soul that we have, I think that's a picture that we can apply to this. And I think your insights on the scriptures as to what's happening really help us understand uh, some of these things right now. Yes. Fatima, thank you for your time with us. And and I would just like to ask right now, if we as we close, uh, for some final thoughts that you have about what God is is up to in Iran, how his his work in your life and your family's life and and what's happening right now with the unrest is what does it leave you with as a picture of what God is doing? Well, I, I feel that the Lord is uh just like Joel said, using evil to open people's eyes and pursuing people's hearts. I feel that the Lord is doing that, just like he pursued my heart and my entire family's hearts. And I feel that God is definitely present in Iran. He hasn't abandoned Iranians. Um, This is just in his wonderful, wise plan of salvation for Iranians. And in his perfect timing, it will come to fruition. But I I encourage people to please pray. I think Indeed. I think the, we the similarity too, to the years of the late 1980s, mid to late 1980s, as you could begin to see that maybe President Reagan was right, maybe the cracks in the wall, the Berlin Wall, literally, but the wall of the you know the, the, the evil empire, people slowly began to go. You know what? That thing may not last. That that something's going on, and I think mm-hmm. we're at that moment. And that was the result of millions and millions of people praying. Carl, as you know, Fatima used to work uh, as the head of Brother Andrew's uh, Open Doors ministry a number of years before he came to work for the Joshua Fund. But that was a whole ministry based on getting the word of God into the hearts and the hands of people who needed a spiritual revolution. And that revolution of prayer and the spread of the gospel brought down an evil empire. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was something that wasn't prophetic in the sense we didn't have specific prophecies that would say that the Soviet Union was going to collapse, right? We and, and most people didn't really think it was going to happen until it did. But we have specific prophecies 
that say that God loves the people of Iran and he's going to liberate them and he's going to uh-huh. judge the leadership of Iran. And that ought to, it, it, since we have, so we have those promises, we ought to be even more faithful in uh-huh. prayer for the people of Iran and for the country to be liberated in our lifetime. Yes, yes. Mm. I just add Amen. to that, please pray for Iranians and pray for the officials. They're just as lost as the as some of the Iranian people or most Iranian mm. people. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate your prayers. Well, thank you, Fatima. And thank you for bringing those, those heartfelt requests to us as our listeners are so engaged uh, for praying for the entire epicenter region. But now we can turn our attention in this podcast to really pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Iran as they suffer sometimes brutally, and also for those that don't know Jesus to come to faith. Joel, thank you too as well yes. uh, from Jerusalem. It's always a blessing to talk with you. And I want to thank everyone who's listened to this episode. I, I hope that you've felt like, like we have, that it has been very, very special. And if you found this podcast valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Are you searching for Jesus? You'll find him here. Do you want to talk about something else on the show? Do you have a question that you want Joel to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on contact us. Your feedback is incredibly important as we put together this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.